Hello and welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast in partnership with Reuters. I'm your host, Mitch Dreams, and today I'm talking to Adrian Montgomery. He's the CEO of Enthusiast Gaming. Adrian was formerly the president and CEO of Canucks Sports Entertainment, the president of Tuckamore Capital Management, is a member of the New York State Bar Association, and if that wasn't enough, has served as an advisor to politicians as well. Thanks for joining the show, Adrian. Great to be with you, Mitch. So with all those different stops and all those different sectors, what brought you to esports? Um, what brought me to esports was my last job where um, one of the things I was responsible for was programming a 20,000 seat arena uh, in Vancouver, British Columbia for the Aquilini family. And we had an opportunity to host the world's biggest esports tournament, which would have been the Dota 2 international in 2018 none of us knew anything about esports uh, we were very very concerned when uh, a game publisher wanted to take a 20,000 seat arena uh, for a six-day tournament and but we thought there was something going on that we needed to investigate and hosting this tournament was a way to do it and i have to tell you when you see the dota 2 up close uh, in your building and you're setting noise records and concession sales records and people are lined up for hours wearing costumes. If, if you don't know anything about esports at the beginning, you sure wanted to know a lot more at the end. And that was really the first domino to tip over for us. Uh, and, and a month later, and it just shows you what great entrepreneurs the Aquilinis are, a month later we purchased an Overwatch team. That's how quickly we moved into the space. Absolutely. I think everyone who's come to eSports recently has had that moment where they go in a stadium and it's just, oh my God, what is this? And how has it gotten so big online and now it's in a physical venue? You're really confronted with how passionate the fan bases are and you realize it's, you know, it's going to be a massive thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, you hit the nail on the head there. When people of a certain age, and I'm in my mid 40s, when they realize that, an esports tournament is every bit as uh, raucous as a live sporting event. That's sort of the aha moment that goes on. And you sort of say to yourself, wow, you know, as I went and watched hockey games with my dad, that's what these kids are doing with their dads. And then you realize how real uh, and global and big and exciting it is really an exciting industry to be a part of. So you mentioned Aquilini and just to give people an idea of enthusiast gaming, uh, the owners of the Vancouver Titans, Luminosity Gaming, and the Seattle Surge in the Call of Duty League. And you recently signed a deal with Monkey Knife Fight, a daily fantasy sports company with just a pretty great name. So take me through how Aquilini became enthusiast. I think that was a merger back in the fall. Yeah, it was a merger back in the fall. So so when we, we literally, the Aquilinis own the Rogers Arena in Vancouver. They hosted the Dota 2 International. They got bitten by the esports bug. A month later, they purchased an Overwatch team. And then, you know, quite frankly, we, we, we bought these this asset and we didn't know what to do with it. Uh, we had no one in, in the company who could put an Overwatch team together. And so we went and we found this company in Canada called Luminosity. 
which at the time had the biggest gamer in the world, Ninja, playing mm-hmm. the Luminosity uh, organization. And we reached out to them and said, hey, can you put an Overwatch team together for us? Um, subsequently bought Luminosity. And then we created a new company um, to house the esports companies that, that we'd been buying. We made it an independent company. And then we merged with this fabulous organization called Enthusiast, which has 100 websites, 900 YouTube channels, some of the biggest gaming conventions in North America and now around the world. And so we put all of them together uh, and created the, the big Enthusiast gaming as it is today. It's really one of the more expansive esports companies out there with all the different arms into event production, into uh, various franchise esports leagues, and then into the streamer assets that Luminosity has, one of the better streamer networks out there. So it's a really interesting company, and it's part of this new wave of esports companies where it's really evolving to another level. Is that how you see enthusiasts as sort of it feels like there's been a changing of the guard in esports a little bit as all this new interest has come in and companies have been changing as well. And I think Enthusiast is on the forefront of those changes. Yeah, well, I certainly appreciate you saying that about us. You know, what we're trying to do in the esports world, Mitch, is no different than what a lot of great companies have done in the past. And I'm thinking about Disney owning ABC and ESPN and Comcast owning NBC and um, esports teams and and venues and stuff like that. It's can you take the great content that owning esports teams and, and having great influencers with massive followings, can you take that content and merge it together with a distribution platform such as we have with enthusiasts? Like I said, 100 websites, some of the biggest fan sites in the world for Pokemon, The Sims, um, uh, Nintendo, um, Escapist, Destructoid, etc. And put that together. So distribution and content, it's like uh, chocolate and peanut butter if you execute it right. And that's what we're trying to do. I do love a nice Reese's, I got to (laughs) say. So the elephant in the room with every conversation is COVID-19. Obviously, we're in about a month into the shutdown, really hammering North America pretty hard. And when enthusiasts merged with Aqualini in the fall of 2019, I'm sure you had a little bit of a different vision for 2020 or how this year was going to play out. So can you take me through how COVID has has affected the company over the last month and especially... You know, with somebody so heavily invested in the Activision Blizzard homestand weekend format, now suddenly those events can't really take place as scheduled. So just run me through how that's affected the last month or so and how you've been dealing with it. Yeah, I think obviously um, companies, whether they're in esports or, or any other industry, companies are made of people. And certainly the COVID impact on the people, the great people that work for Enthusiast has been our number one concern. And it's been the number one concern for a lot of CEOs of a lot of companies. But that's been, first and foremost, trying to make sure that everyone is safe and has access to the things that they need and their benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's it's a very, very trying time for all of us. And we're, we're very mindful of that. Um, 
certainly when you get beyond that, um, look, we have built a business that is very, very focused on hardcore gamers. Um, we own esports teams. You can't get harder core than that. We own uh, websites like the Sims Resource and and uh, Escapist and Destructoid, catering to really, really avid gamers. And the one thing we all know about avid gamers is if you give them another hour in the day uh, where they can do something with, they will usually either play a game or go on to a site to talk about it with their friends. And you know, one of the things that people miss when they when they think about esports, Mitch, and they think about gaming, is gaming is a social network. It is a means for people to make and nurture friendships and get together with people online and and have a social outlet and an entertainment outlet in a, in a very, very difficult time. And so what we've seen is we've seen people um, gravitate more than ever uh, to the sites that we have, um, to the streams that our content creators have, because you know what, when you can't hang out with your buddies physically, you can certainly hang out with them online over their shared love of gaming. And that's been a pretty powerful thing to witness. Yeah, this has been a really interesting moment and it helps show why gaming is so important and why people gravitate towards it so much. You can only watch so much Netflix in one day. And even if you want to go talk about the Tiger King on Twitter, it's not really a great social environment. Whereas playing, you know, three hours of Warzone, for example, in Call of Duty, you actually get to have really in-depth conversations. You get to bond with your friends. You get to maybe make new friends or strengthen bonds. And so it's... Gaming has always been misconstrued, uh, long-standing stereotypes, which I think are going away now, about being an anti-social experience. And it's just not true, given most esports are team games and require good communication to be successful in. It's a wonder that stereotype has actually still persisted to this point. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And, and part of the problem... Um, if there is a problem with this fantastic industry is that a lot of people in positions in po of power in businesses in the corporate world are my age and older. And guess what? When they remember playing video games when 30 years ago, when I was 15 or, uh, you know, it was an antisocial exercise. You were locked in your, in your bedroom and your parents were concerned uh, that you weren't getting enough sunlight and, and making friends and all those sorts of things. And it's changed. And there's a, too much age discrimination going on that's, that's impeding the surge of, of the, the popularity. And, I, you know, I was watching um, CNBC this morning. That's what middle-aged people do in the morning, by the way. And, and Bobby Kotick was on. And he said, you know, people don't realize this, but we have 450 million registered users uh, in, at Act, in Activision across all our game titles. He said, outside of YouTube and Facebook, I have to think we're the biggest social network out there. And you don't really think about that until someone smacks you over the head with it. And that's what's so powerful about what you are involved with and what we are all involved with. This is the new social network. Yeah, it definitely is. I, uh, 
I have cousins that they don't even hang out with their friends in person after school anymore. They just go home and then they hang out with them through Fortnite and through squads. And it's always felt weird to me, but that's just how social attitudes have changed. And in terms of what is a healthy social environment, social media generally is not. Uh, you mentioned Twitter and Instagram as these places that people congregate. Has a lot of issues with you know perception and gaming is an outlet in a way that social media is focused on people's selves. Gaming is a great way to escape, and this world needs a little bit of escaping these days. I don't know about you, but I can't go on Twitter for more than an hour a day. Otherwise, my mind starts to get a little overloaded. So gaming has been a crucial outlet, uh, especially Animal Crossing. Perfect time for the game right now. And the Sims. Remember the Sims. And the Sims. Animal Crossing and the Sims right now are, are just exploding. But you're, you're right. You know, it is a healthy escape. And look, I always joke to people, I'm the, I, this is the first business I've ever run where I'm the oldest person in the company, which is really funny. But my CFO, who's a young guy, great guy, he's a gamer, just got married. Two people at his wedding he'd never met live outside of the Xbox. And he they became wedding invite-worthy friends uh, over the years through, through a shared love of gaming over the Xbox console. So that, that just is one example of the power of what you and I are talking about right now. I love it. It's awesome. And, you know, a lot of people have been gravitating towards gaming and the numbers back it up. Twitch went up 10 million hours watched in two weeks. Went from 33 million hours on March 8th to 43 million hours watched on March 22nd, which is just an absolutely insert increase. Are you seeing those same increases in site traffic across the sites enthusiast gaming network? Yeah, we, we are, we, um, we have, we're, we're, we're privileged. Our platform, we get over close to 160 million monthly viewers to our platform of websites and channels. And that makes us the largest gaming network in North America and the United Kingdom and basically the English speaking world. And what we have seen is in this sad and trying time, people are devouring our content. Um, so we're, we're right alongside the trends that you've seen on, on YouTube or, uh, or, or Twitch north of a 20% increase across the board. And we have some sites like the Sims resource where we've seen close to 40% increases. Um, and when you have the kind of engagement that we have, you know, we're starting to get into the territory of, of over a billion page views of content a month, which is considerable. That's actually insane. Why do you think people are so, I, I think we've talked about it a little bit, but especially as you know, people are looking for these other communities. How important do you think it is to be part of a community that's focused on something that's not focused on what's going on in the world right now? I, I think those communities, I've been gravitating towards a lot of them. Hearthstone subreddits, for example, Rocket League esports discussions. It feels important to have an outlet and gaming is the best outlet possible. And it seems like enthusiast gaming sites are providing that for a lot of people, for millions of people. Yeah, we are, and and we're very privileged that that we, as we say at Enthusiast, Mitch, we're we're building or we're trying to build 
the world's largest platform of communities for gamers and esports fans. And that community aspect, that interaction, that social environment uh, expressed through a shared love of uh, Pokemon or uh, Fortnite or The Sims or whatever is very important. Um, and it is, it is an outlet um, for people at a time like this. And look, the most powerful statistic for someone like myself is that 70% of Gen Z's say that gaming is a core part of their identity as human beings. And when you step back, that is a very powerful statement. That means that for young people today, gaming is every bit as important as music was to people like me when I was growing up. Um, and so how you express yourself to the outside world is mostly done through gaming. And that is incredibly, incredibly powerful. And it ain't going away. No, it's definitely not. Gamers are only getting older. They're, uh, nobody's really aging out of gaming these days, it seems like. So I want to switch gears a tiny bit and talk a little bit about earnings and, and money during this time. And of course, the human impact of COVID-19 is more important than the business aspect. But at the same time, businesses affect humans uh, on a wide scale. We've seen that with massive unemployment going on. So it's important that businesses find ways to continue to exist throughout this time uh, for the good of, of humans, especially. And a lot of esports companies have been hammered pretty hard by COVID, especially anything that runs events. And I know that's one of the pillars of enthusiast gaming. How, why is it important to have a diversified company during these times? Uh, you know, COVID's one example, but there are others on the horizon. It could be any multitude of things. Why is it important to have a very diversified company uh, to help deal with, you know, random global pandemics? <laughs> well, uh, we certainly didn't build this business around uh, around the notion that a global pandemic might sweep through. But um, I think what is, you know, one of the things that people struggle with in esports is they get the audience size and the and the passion and all that kind of stuff. But they sort of say, well, geez, how do you how do you make money at it? Um, and, and part of the problem or the challenge, Mitch, is that um, esports is borderless. And so one of the things that makes traditional sports such a powerful business model is that those traditional television broadcast rights and the fact that you can slice those rights up uh, into 32 pieces of geography, uh, you know, if you're using the NFL as an example. You can't do that with esports. So for us, in order to be successful, what we've done is we've built a business that has multiple revenue streams. Um, we have, like I said, we're, we have 160 million monthly viewers to our sites, which means that we can sell advertising. Um, we can sell advertising on a large scale uh, for a very coveted demographic. Uh, being the Gen Zs. So that's one avenue. Um, hardcore gamers will pay extra for what they want. We can sell subscriptions. 
We have a website called The Sims Resource where we're closing in on 100,000 people who are VIP subscribers who pay us $4 a month every month. That's, that's a lot of recurring revenue. Um, we have uh, sponsorships for our esports teams. We have our influencers who sell uh, sponsors and have uh, merchandise and all that kind of stuff. And so when you stack up a number of different ways to generate revenue, I think whether you're in a pandemic or, or you're, you're just in an emerging growth industry, um, you're setting your, your odds for success better than if you only had one or two ways to generate revenue. Absolutely. It's key. And it's something that more and more esports organizations seem to be focusing on these days. You're also unique in that you're one of the very few publicly traded esports organizations. So as you talk about how people are trying to figure out how to make money in this industry, do you feel like there's a lot of eyes on Enthusiast and on Astralis, I believe is the only other major one I can think of, uh, publicly traded esports companies about you know the inner workings of the finances. Do you feel like there's a lot of eyes on you as one of the few publicly traded esports companies right now? Yeah, you're right. There, there's a lot of eyes, and one of the frustrations sometimes to running a public company, uh, whether it's in esports or otherwise, is you almost feel that that your daily stock price is like your daily report card, um, even though that nothing could be further from the truth, but you get sucked into thinking that. Um, yeah, you're right. There, there are a lot of eyes on us. Um, and that's uh, sometimes frustrating. But again, when you're a public company, um, you have to be able to explain to the outside world, to new and old investors, you have to be able to explain what your vision is every day. You have to be able to explain how you're going to grow your business every day. And so the pressure, um, I think, can also be a good thing in that it forces discipline right throughout your business because you always have to answer that elevator pitch. You know, how are you going to grow? How are you going to make money? How are you going to get more market share? And I think because we're public, we're, we're better than most at, at being able to articulate and execute against a vision. Yeah, there's a little bit of accountability that comes with it, which can actually help companies and probably a lot of esports organizations could benefit from having people pushing them back to the path of profitability over and over and over again. Yeah, uh, accountability is the right word. You see, I used about 100 words just there, but the word I should have used was accountability. You're 100% right. That is, that is what it preaches. Now, again, when you're growing a business... Um, profitability sometimes is, is a short term thing when you should be focused on achieving scale, right? If, if Amazon wanted to be profitable in their first year, um, they wouldn't be Amazon right now. Uh, same for Facebook, uh, you know, Twitter, uh, Twitter famously, when people said, well, how are you going to make money at Twitter? They said, well, our concern is to get as many users to the platform then we'll figure it out and you know they've done a pretty good job of that so it's balancing the short and the long term too um, but again you got to be accountable to both right that's almost every single app on the homepage of everyone's iphone is had four five six years of unprofitability and just pure scale so yeah it's a really good point it's 
something you have to balance a little bit as a CEO where you need to make sure, hey, we're scaling. But also, I think that comes down to your point of explaining to investors where they'll understand, hey, the profits are going to come here, but right now we need to focus on this pillar and this pillar. And speaking of a new pillar, new deal with Monkey Knife Fight, daily fantasy esports company or sports company. I think they do both, right? Yeah. Where did that deal come from? Where do you see the opportunity in daily fantasy? I assume you're focused on the esports side of that. Yeah, it's it's a really exciting partnership um, with a great organization. I'm pretty sure they're the fastest growing daily fantasy site uh, in the world. And I had gotten to know the founder, Bill Asher, um, and we talked and talked about trying to do something together. And what's happening right now as we know, is traditional sports are shut down. And if there's one thing, uh, you know, when when you you have a a person in your life, a friend, a family member who loves to bet is um, they'll want to bet on anything. So the absence of being able to bet on basketball um, or football, they they want an outlet to bet. And so esports is filling that void right now for a lot of betting sites. Um, Nevada just legalized esports gambling as an example. And so um, Bill reached out to me and said, hey, like, you know, you guys have this tremendous platform. You've got 160 million people you talk to who love esports. We want to get into esports gambling. You know, now's the time for us to work together. And um, he's he's right. And, and we're really excited about, about the possibilities of doing a lot together. Yeah, I'm excited as well. And I'm based in Las Vegas. So I'm really consumed with the betting world and the rise of esports betting. You mentioned the Nevada Gaming Control Board proving bets on two ESL competitions and an iRacing, the uh, simu- or not the simulated, the NASCAR uh, athlete driven events that have been happening. So Clearly, casinos are looking for something, something else to do without sports. And it seems like esports is their natural follow up. When you talk about daily fantasy, I think two companies come to mind for anybody who's familiar with that. And that's DraftKings and FanDuel. What does Monkey Knife Fight do that's different from those two sites? I know both are exploring esports a little bit, like a pinky toe in the water. I think DraftKings has League of Legends, Daily Fantasy, and FanDuel offered lines through their sports book for uh, League of Legends Worlds, and that was about it. So what is Monkey Knife Fight doing that's different than those giants in the space, and why do you think it'll be successful? Um, I think... It, I don't know what specifically they're doing differently on a day-to-day basis. I do know that um, they've made quite a splash and have increased 5x since they started in in 2018 and i honestly think it's because they have great leadership and great management um and a guy like bill asher who's had a, a ton of successful uh entrepreneurial ventures is a visionary quite honestly and so um i you know you you you, you recognize a great entrepreneur um in terms of how quickly they see an opportunity and they jump in with both feet and I think that's what Bill has done and what Monkey Knife Fight has done. And I think that's what um, is giving them a first mover advantage here. And he truly believes in, in talking to him um, that in the future, esports is going to overtake everything. 
in terms of the growth possibilities. So um, I think he's being rewarded for taking risks, moving fast and, and being farsighted. Absolutely. And it's a smart place to be. Esports betting is growing like crazy. And whoever you talk to, you know, if there's ever competition, there's going to be people who want to bet on it. And I think Mark Cuban's been pretty public about this is the best opportunity in esports right now. And he said it's the only opportunity that makes sense, which I don't think is true, but he's, uh, you know, focused on betting. And that's always proved to be a very successful avenue. Again, I'm literally living in a city that's testament to the success of the betting industry and people's love of betting. Uh, so it's definitely easy to see the possible benefits of focusing in on esports betting and making that a lane for your company. Yeah. And, and look, you're in the catbird seat to comment on this. You know, the one thing that we can't lose sight of as, as people who are esports evangelists and, and have bet a lot on, on the future success of esports is there is no greater um, met way to amplify the popularity of a sport than through betting. And so when you think about the National Football League and the juggernaut that it is, um, it would not be the juggernaut that it is without fantasy leagues and without office pools and without Vegas betting lines. I mean, that is the fuel, the, 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 gas, the gasoline on the fire that can amplify a sport. So for esports to step into this moment in time when betting sites are phoning companies and saying, how do I get into esports? I mean, it's, it's, it's a watershed moment um, that we're going to be talking about five years from now. That was the day um, when this thing turned on its head and esports became a mainstream success. And, and you can't separate the success and the growth of popularity of a sport um, and the importance of betting. Yeah, it's a great point. It's it's a really great point. So final question for you. I know you got to run soon. We've seen this really interesting development that's happened through COVID, which has been athletes playing video games. And they were before this happened, but suddenly when sports are shut down, athletes have nothing else to do and they're turning towards Twitch streams. And Luminosity was actually one of the first leaders in this space was signing a deal with Trevor May, the Minnesota Twins pitcher who's built up a massive following playing Fortnite with Ninja and Dr. Lupo as a relief pitcher for the Minnesota Twins. So I'm curious how you see this world of gaming and traditional sports continuing to overlap throughout COVID. And what are the cool benefits that come from the two worlds colliding a little bit? Well, I think that one of the things that older people forget is just how young athletes are professional athletes and if you're 22 23 years old whether you're a professional athlete or not you're you're obsessed with gaming odds are right so it doesn't matter if you're uh studying accounting at university or if you're playing for the san francisco 49ers like richard sherman um that just shows you how pervasive gaming is and and the funny benefit to it is we have richard sherman we have some hockey players. We have Trevor May, as you said. We have Tory Lanes, who's a big hip-hop star. Um, and they are, for me, it's so funny to see. Tr Richard Sherman is more excited to 
hang out with our Call of Duty players on the Seattle Surge than he is to meet a Hollywood movie star. Um, he is excited. Darius Slay, who's one of the best cornerbacks in the league for the Eagles, he's another one of our guys. They love hanging out with our Call of Duty players or our esports guys. And so, you know, when we map out the success, and hopefully one day you'll have me back and we'll be mapping out the remember when moments of esports, you know, certainly one of those moments is going to be when Drake and Ninja um, played Fortnite together. Uh, another one of those moments is when they filled the bird's nest in China for 60,000 people for a League of Legends final. Another one is going to be when the San Francisco Shock won the Overwatch Championship and beat our, sadly, beat our Titans um, and went on the Jimmy Fallon show. And another moment um, is going to be um, when these traditional sports stars have gotten more and more excited um, about their Twitch stream than about their Nike shoe deal. Um, that's <laughs> going to be one of those moments that we're going to be talking about for years to come, and, and we're living it. Yeah, it definitely feels like an important moment, and I've brought up that Drake stream a few times as this was such a crucial moment for gaming, and now it seems like we're having that moment every week, probably not on the scale of Drake because he's just an uber celebrity, but it's this this constant crossover. The esports on ESPN, on Fox Sports, the MLS just announcing a five-week tournament with Chikorito and some of the best MLS players all being part of it. And it's really awesome to see. I just, I'm getting a press release a day about a new competition that has 18 NFL players in it, along with top gamers. And it's awesome to see this crossover of the two things. And, you know, Enthusiast Gaming was one of the companies that comes from the sports world, takes a lot from the sports world and applies it to esports. And now we're seeing the two worlds truly collide in a way that they had, they'd been flirting with each other in the past, I'll say. A lot of ownership groups, a lot of athletes playing games, but this moment right now is definitely going to be one of those watershed moments where sports and esports fully collide and they stick together forever, I think. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And you're going to see Richard Sherman in Vegas uh, with uh, sitting at a blackjack table with a major esports star, you're going to see League of Legends matches in the background at a sports book and people wagering on them. And it's all going to seem like normal. Uh, and, and that's going to be an exciting day when esports is fully mainstream. And, and it just seems to me, and sounds like you feel the same way, that that day is coming way, way quicker than any, uh, any of us would have dreamed. Yeah, that day was definitely coming. And this just feels like it's accelerated it. So... I'm really excited to for that world where I can go to the sports bar and I can get Rocket League up there along with the NBA. That's just the that's just the ideal for me. Yeah, you and me both, man. You and me both. <laughs> I'm stoked about it. So, final question for you before I let you go: When are we getting a Luminosity Valorant team? Oh man, we better get <laughs> on that. Hey, we um. We, 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 we were very quick on Apex Legends, mm -hmm. uh, and so we, I, I'm going to go yell at some people on the Luminosity side. You're right. We, we should get on that really quick. Well, I saw they just tweeted right before we started recording this show, uh, tagged the best Valorant players. So I was just curious where it, uh, where it fell on the priority list right now. 
It's on the whiteboard. I love it. I love it. I'm excited for it. Uh, final word. Can you let them know where to check out Enthusiast Gaming? What should they be looking for? What streamers should they be watching? Um, well, look, enthusiastgaming.com, Luminosity uh, YouTube channel. We we are one of the we're probably the fastest growing esports channel. We were the seventh most uh, eighth most referenced esports team on Twitter last month. Forty first biggest uh, Twitch channel. But go to our YouTube channel on Luminosity. Uh, we just signed Mr. Fresh Asian, who's a huge content creator out of uh, Australia. And uh, Fresh is just getting warmed up as a Luminosity guy. And, and I'd definitely be looking at him for some, some surprises in the weeks to come. I'm excited to see it. So yeah, check out Luminosity Streamers, Seattle Surge, Vancouver Titans. Thanks for joining the show, Adrian. It was great talking to you. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, Mitch. Thank you.